say that from time to time, uh, stay awake with me and tell me that he's risen indeed, okay? Track with me. You know, I, I have Easter memories. You guys have certain memories of Easter, things that you look back and you say, I, that, that happened at Easter or we always did that on Easter. When I was very young, my grandmother, who I did not know very well, lived in a little town along the river in Indiana called Aurora, Indiana. And we didn't see a lot of her, but it seemed like we happened there on Easter several times. And one year I remember Grandma sitting at a piano and playing and singing hymns, Easter hymns. And when she looked at me, the tears were running down her face. And I look back on that, and it's still a memory. That's Although it was a long time ago, it feels like yesterday. And I've always wondered since then, what was it that provoked those tears? Was it the reality of what happened? Were they tears of joy? Or was it sadness that she was stuck back on Friday? I'm not sure. I don't know what happened. For me, as a little kid, I I didn't attend church. And so Easter to me was uh, Easter eggs and jelly beans and... I don't remember getting Easter baskets. Do you, most of you get Easter baskets? I don't think I ever got Easter baskets, but it, w- it was a pleasant time, but not terribly meaningful to me. And I always remember every Easter I'd listen to Judy Garland. Uh, most of you probably don't know who she is, um, but she would sing uh, the song um, on the Easter parade. Remember it? Some of you remember it? You probably could listen to it. I Googled the other day and watched a scene out of that old movie. Um, and the, the words are something like this. In your Easter bonnet, this is Judy Garland singing. The lyrics make no sense to me. Listen, I'll tell you why. With all the frills upon it, you'll be the grandest fellow in the Easter parade? That's weird. Have you ever seen a fellow wear an Easter bonnet? But uh, she was singing to the star, uh, the male star of the, of the movie, then she said, I'll be all in clover, and when they look us over, we'll be the proudest couple on the Easter parade. And then there's a bridge that says, on the avenue, Fifth Avenue, remember that? And I couldn't help but wonder, what is that all about? What's the whole song all about? So I watched just a tad of the movie to refresh my memory, and just a little bit of history. Around 1870 is when this started, and there were a lot of churches apparently on Fifth Avenue in New York. And since they all dismissed at about the same time, it was common to see the people walking. They didn't have their cars in the parking lot at that point. Walking up Fifth Avenue in their Sunday finest. And it was common for the ladies to wear hats. Uh, not so common anymore. But they'd, they'd come up and they'd wear whatever uh, the best clothes they had. And they'd come up Fifth Avenue. And then it became a tradition And the Easter parade that still goes on in many areas today uh, grew out of that tradition back all the way back in 1870. You know, I I thought about that a little bit, and I thought, how frivolous, an Easter parade. But the more I thought, you know, if they were out parading and celebrating because of the resurrection of Christ, can you think of a better day to have a parade and to have a celebration than on Resurrection Day. Can you? Because he's risen. Everybody awake? All right. He is risen. 
Okay, very good. So the, the message that he has risen really changes everything. It's the message that makes Christianity different. And folks, it's a reason to celebrate. If you have tears this morning, they need to be tears of joy. Because in the resurrection, God said approved. The work is approved. It was God's rubber stamp on everything that Jesus had done. And so don't you dare weep in any sadness because this was Christ's plan from the beginning. And he was resurrected and he ascended back to the Father uh, where he today lives to make intercession for us. Now we know all of this, but this is a great day. And I really wish I knew how to shout and maybe even dance a little bit to make this a celebration. Friday night, we, we had a great celebration here. Celebration, I'm not sure that's exactly the word, but we saw the body of Christ come together, all colors, just like it's going to be in heaven, different ethnic groups, and we came together and filled the sanctuary, uh, and we, we acknowledged together what Good Friday was. But Good Friday's gone. Uh, this is Resurrection Day. And every Sunday, of course, we celebrate the resurrection. You know, the, the story of Christ's resurrection is the central story of our Bible, anticipated in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. The first five books of the Bible, as, as you know, are history books. They are history books written about the life of Christ the time of his ascension, and then the history of the early church. And so they're all about history. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them end with the same message. Remember what it was? All of them end with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ going back to be with his Father where he belonged. And his job is done. It's finished on earth. His, our salvation was accomplished. It's done. So he ascended back to heaven. And then when you get into the book of Acts, it starts where the Gospels leave off. And the book of Acts traces the history of the early church. And some have called it the work of the Holy Spirit or the, the acts of the Holy Spirit. But it's the acts of the apostles now inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And it's their work on earth. And do you know what they're talking about? You know what's central to their entire message? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, track with me. I'm going to read a little bit out of the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, you might want to go with me through the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting. And we're just going to work our way through very briefly a few texts, just as a reminder and a refresher, and uh, see what the message of the early church was. Out of Acts, chapter 2, let's just take a moment and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we have in our hand your word, and I believe that right now we're about to read a historical account of something that happened some 2,000 years ago after you, Jesus, went back. And Lord, we pray that as we read it, that we'd be encouraged that our message is still the resurrection and that that message still has power. It still has authority and that that message can still bring redemption to mankind. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Look in Acts 2.22. The, uh, the church is brand new, right? It's 
So we're on the day of Pentecost, and, and Peter's going to preach a sermon. This is Peter, the guy that denied the Christ, the, the one that sometimes we think was a coward. Well, he's not a coward anymore. Uh, he's a brave man. And he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And look at the next verse. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So the first message we hear, what, what's the focus? What's central to it? Jesus was raised. Look over in Acts chapter 4. Once again, it's Peter speaking, and he's standing before the ruling council. And this was not a, a pleasant message for them to hear. But look in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man and by what means he has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here. And so what, what's the core of his message? It is that Jesus is still doing work on earth, but he's back in heaven. He, he was resurrected, and he's gone back to heaven where he makes intercession for us. That's the core of his message, the resurrected Christ. And then they understood what it meant. Look over in chapter 5 of Acts. I'll just pick up a couple verses starting at 27. These people weren't stupid. Now, you think about it. If, if what the apostles are saying, if what Peter's preaching is true then they killed the Holy One, but he didn't stay there. And they're going to have to deal with the reality of his resurrection. If Jesus is alive today, it changes everything, doesn't it? Because one of these days we're going to stand in his presence, and it changes everything. They knew that, and they knew they were accountable to him. And so, Acts 5, and they brought them and set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, and he said, We charged you not to teach in this name. Yet you're filling Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, who you killed. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. Look over in chapter 7. Here we, we take a, a little different uh, position on this, because now we're going to see what the resurrection Christ, the resurrected Christ, can do for people on earth. Christ is still active in our lives, right? He's still involved in what we do. And here's Stephen, a man much like Jesus. In his final words, I see Christ all over him. They were, they were stamped right in it because he sounds just like Jesus. And here's Stephen, and they're, they're about to kill him, Acts uh, 7.58. They cast him out of the city, they stoned him. And the witnesses are there, and a young man named Saul, who became Paul, is there watching. And Stephen cries out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
and anyone and pray, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. So here is the first martyr that we know of after the resurrection. And what's his uh, message? His message is he's looking into heaven, and as his life is flowing out, he's saying, Lord Jesus. Do you think that the Lord was communicating him, the risen Christ was communicating with him at that point? Of course he was, and he knew it. And you know, the risen Christ is still communicating with people. Maybe not exactly like Stephen, but he's communicating with people. Then keep looking. Look over in Acts 9. This Saul that was there witnessing uh, the, uh, the death of Stephen, uh, St- Saul has an encounter. And I'm just going to read one little bit of, of chapter 9, like verse 5. He's on the road doing his thing, persecuting the church killing him where he could, and he has a vision. And in the vision, the Lord speaks to him, and he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. So where's the risen Christ? The risen Christ is calling a man out to himself, a special man, a man chosen by him as as the apostle that had the greatest impact on our world probably, and he's, he's communicating with him. The risen Christ is saying, Paul, you're persecuting me. Now, who was it he was persecuting? Christ's church. That's me. Christ identifies fully with this church. This morning, if people hurt us, they hurt Christ. We are his church. And Paul saw that. Now, keep looking. Chapter 10, verse 39. Stay with me for another minute or two, and then we're going to stop. Chapter 10 Verse 39, um, it says this, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. In this passage, he's talking to the first of the Gentiles. What's his message? The message to the Jew was clearly the resurrection and the, the ascension. Now he's talking to the Gentiles. What's his message? Same message. It's the same message. It's the message of the resurrection. God raised him. Now, chapter 13, you see Paul going out now. Paul's been commissioned, and he's going out. And listen to his message. Chapter 13, uh, pick it up at verse 28. Paul says, And though they found in him no uh, guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written against him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Beginning to sound familiar, like a broken record. And we've just picked up a few of them. There's more. But when Paul begins to take the message to the Gentile world and travels the, the region around him throughout not only Southeast Asia and up into Asia proper, all the way up into Europe, He takes the message. And what's the message? The message is Jesus was resurrected. And that message changed the world, didn't it? Why are we here today? Because of the message of the resurrection of Christ. Then let's let's move all the way over to chapter 17. And this is where we're going to stick in a minute. A different kind of audience in chapter 17. Uh, At Athens, there was a... Uh, large influential community and 
Just outside the city of Athens, there was a mount, a rocky outcropping that where the philosophers and even the city council would meet. And I've seen pictures of it, never been there, but from this mount, you could look down into the city of Athens. And it's, you could see that it's somewhat terraced. You could kind of get the picture in your mind of, of men sitting there on these terraces of rock and listening as various people spoke. And if a philosopher came into town, they were big on philosophy. If somebody came into town, a learned man, they'd all come out uh, and they would sit before him and listen. Well, Paul was walking, teaching through the street of, streets of Athens. And, and I'm going to pick up the whole story back at verse 16 of chapter 17. Reading more than normal this morning, but stay with me. This is a great story. We're going to end up in verses 32 through 34, and we're going to anchor there. But listen to the rest of the story. While Paul was waiting for his companions at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He's out. What do you think his message is? It's the resurrected Christ. He's out talking to them. And so some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because, now look, look at this, verse 18, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And once they heard that, the red flags went up. And they took him, it says, and they brought him to the Areopagus, which uh, is, is the place of the hill. You know, it was known by two things. That word, Areopagus, hard for us to say, is, is a combination of two words, and it meant uh, uh, one of their gods, the name of one of their gods, and then a mountain or a high place. So it was the mountain of the, of the god. And then when the Romans, you'll hear it called Mars Hill, when the, when the Romans took over and inhabited that area, the Romans called it Mars Hill, again, naming after one of their gods, and then the hill outside the city. So that, that uh, difficult word there, Areopagus, is simply pointing to that area out there where these uh, philosophers gathered. Then it says, verse 19, they took him and brought him there. Verse 20, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend time in nothing but except telling and hearing something new. Wow. They wanted to go and just keep listening, listening to all the philosophies around us. I think there are a lot of people like that today. Let's listen. Let's hear everything. And that's what they were doing. So Paul, verse 22, standing in, in the midst of the Arachibus, Areopagus, uh, easy for them to say, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Just in case there was one they didn't know about, they wanted to make sure they worshipped him, right? And so he said, um, Verse 24, the God who made the world, 
and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, they're listening away. He's talking about creation. He's talking about the sovereign God. And he's even implying eternity in what he's saying. They're listening. They're still churning away. They're, you can even see them. Boy, I bet they're intent on his words. And then he says in verse 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own prophets have said, we are indeed his offspring. And that was apparently an ancient poem. There's some record of it, and that's just a quote out of it. We are his offspring. But then, verse 29, being God's offspring, we are not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man that he appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all of us by raising him from the dead. All right. So you heard his message, right? He said there's a God, he's sovereign, he created, and this God is involved in mankind. He not only made us, but he has made a day of judgment where we're all going to face him. And you know that's true still. Nothing's changed. And it really doesn't matter whether people believe it or not. One of these days, every person on earth is going to stand before the Lord. Uh, they're going to stand before the Lord as their Savior and give him thanks, or they're going to stand before the Lord as a righteous judge. But we're all going to stand before the Lord. That's still as true as it was when Paul spoke it. There is a day, and the call on us, he says, is to repent, uh, to consider who Jesus is, turn to him, and turn from anything contrary to that. Now, look at verse 32. This is, this is really intriguing to me. When I read through this, it got my attention in a way that I, I could just envision it, but I also see today. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed and among them also were Dionysus, um, and he was one of those people who met there, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. Damaris. I wish we'd name our girls Damaris a little more. Kind of an unusual name, because it speaks well. This was a woman who believed. But do you see the three responses? When they heard of the resurrection of the dead... There were three distinct responses there. Some mocked, some said, maybe later, and some believed. And I'm not sure but what that doesn't cover the response to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ today. Uh, some will mock. In our culture, some would say Christ really didn't die. He just swooned. 
and they took him aside and revived him. He became okay. That's common. It's common among the Muslims. That's that's generally what they say of Christ. They do not deny his existence. That's pretty hard to do historically. But what they say is he didn't die there. He just swooned. He went off and married some woman, lived somewhere in Europe for the rest of his life. Others say his body was stolen. That'd be pretty hard because they went to great lengths, if you read the Gospels, to see that his body wasn't taken because they were afraid of that, afraid of what might happen. Some said it was another person who died. It was just mistaken identity, as if they didn't know him after living with him all that time. You know, today, um, I, I found some t- statistics that kind of scare me. There was a poll taken. I saw one of 500 people who self-identify as Christians. So these are people that would say, of, of what faith are you? I'm a Christian. And when they interviewed those people, 20% of all these Christians totally denied the physical resurrection. They just said it didn't happen. So around our churches today, there are churches that do not believe in the resurrection. Shame on us. Uh, 35 or 30% said, well, maybe. Maybe it happened. So half of the people who... Now, these are people who identify as Christians. Half of them either say no or they say, "Mm, could be. We're not sure. Then there's a percentage of them that simply say, we don't know. That's always the case because they don't want to commit, right? When you take a poll, do you sometimes say, I don't know? Uh, It's an easy way out. But out of this poll, only 35% said absolutely, yes, we believe in the resurrection. 35%, just over a third of Christians believe in the resurrection? Why would they call themselves Christians? What's left of their faith? There's nothing there. And so, you, you know, kids in school, it's scary. I've got all kinds of kids in school, like grandchildren. And many of the times they're being taught by teachers who were taught by teachers who were taught by teachers that there is no supernatural, that there isn't any God, and don't bring him up here. And when you get to college, not only do you have all of that, but you've got enormous pressure. I could cite a couple things I know for sure. I knew a young man who in a college class wrote a paper where he had a a foundational truth that Jesus was real. And the professor rejected it. Even though the paper met all the criteria for the assignment, he said, no, I won't take this. And, and consequently, it went to a higher authority, and they went to the department head. And I don't think they ever took it. I'm not sure of the end result. But that professor would not even acknowledge the possibility that Jesus lived. There's a lot of people today, when you bring up the reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, their response is mockery, whether it's open or just in their heart. And, it, and the intelligentsia in our society... It's even more so. Why? Because if they acknowledge the reality of Christ and the reality of the gospel story, then two things are true. The first is their peers are going to reject them. They'll probably lose their job. Secondly, is that they are responsible to him, right? If he's real, and if the account that we read is real, 
then they're responsible to it. And so it's much easier just to say, eh, never happened. Jesus didn't live. And, and that's a common response. That's what some of these people said. Come on, get this guy out of here. This message has no validity. And then some of them, they said, uh, maybe later. I don't know what was in their mind. Some of them probably would say, hey, I kind of believe it, but I'll go clean my life up first. Or not today, it might interfere with something I want to do tonight. Uh, maybe they thought that it would influence the rest of their life and how they lived. I don't know why they said later. But, but do you think maybe that's the most common response in our culture to the gospel? I'll think about it later. Don't you think so? But the Lord says, today's the day of salvation. And later is not a good response, because you don't know about later. I, I'm not a prophet of doom, but you just don't have guarantees of later. Today is when the Lord wants to be our God. He wants us to repent and turn to him. Right now, not later, not, yeah, we'll think about this another time, which was their response. Then there's a third response. And the third response you see in, at the end some joined them and believed. And then he gives a couple names. I, I want you to pause on this for a second. This guy, Dionysus, um, he was one of those uh, members of that ruling council. He was one that sat there and listened and participated in these discussions, apparently a man of some influence. How would they have responded to him, the others that mocked? How would they have responded to him when he said, I believe? And went off to follow Jesus. What do you think? Yeah. He would have been ostracized. His peers would have rejected him. They would have thought him to be a fool. But he was a fool for Christ's sake. And we're all fools. If someone's going to call me a fool, I'd sure much rather they'd call me a fool for Christ's sake, wouldn't you? And, and it's okay, folks, if they think we're foolish. It's okay. Just understand that it's always been the case that people are going to mock. It's always been the case that some people are going to say, eh, I'll think about it later. But it's always been the case that some are going to believe, just like these two that are mentioned, some believed. So I, I think the question that comes out of this to me, Christ is risen. Okay, I just wonder if you're still with me. Uh, we know that to be true. That's still our message. Nothing has changed. If it's not our message, we have nothing to say. Let's do something else. We have nothing to talk about if Jesus isn't risen. But he is risen. Oh, good. We're getting stronger. And because that is true, because it is risen, we have total confidence that our message is still the message of redemption and that some are still going to believe that message. We know that some will mock the very idea of resurrection. Some just don't believe in any supernatural of any kind. Uh, a guy, a uh, well-known philosopher from the 17th century, a Scott. Uh, I'm Scottish. I'm a little ashamed of this man. But uh, D David Hume said this, speaking of specifically the death, burial, and resurrection. He says it violates all natural law. David, he created natural law. And our very existence points to his being. The fact that we're on this earth and have an earth points to his being. And he's the one that created natural law. 
And David Hume was a, a very bright, well-thought-of man, but he missed it because lots of things violate natural law, lots of things. One time, many years ago, I was out with a group, and we were handing out tracts. And I had encountered this particular man at his house before, and was it the wisest thing? I wouldn't do it today the same way, but we went back, I think it was four weeks in a row, to this house, and finally, the guy came to the door, and he let me know in un no uncertain terms that not only did he not want my material, but he didn't believe my message. I was a fairly young believer, and I stepped back, and I, I didn't know exactly what to say. But here's what I told him. I gave him the message to Stephen, the message of Paul, is that I don't know everything. None of us do. And there are questions I can't answer. But I know there was a point in time where Jesus came into my life and saved me. And I've never been the same, and I've never doubted it, really. Oh, I have occasional where I say, I wonder. But once I go back to him, the doubt goes away. We do have a message that's unarguable. Jesus is alive today. This morning, his heart is that each of us would turn to him. If you've never done that, you need to do that today. Don't be like those that said, maybe another day. Because you don't know what another day holds. And the Lord's speaking right now, right this moment. And this is the time to turn to him. The Lord loves you. I know that to be true. How do I know that? I know that because of a cross. You want to hear the message of love? Look at the cross. Jesus died for my sins. I know he loves me. That's a historical fact. It happened, folks. It's been the message of the church it remains the message of the church. So as we take that message, uh, be prepared. Some are going to mock. Some are going to delay. But some are going to believe. Do you believe that's true? Are some still going to believe? What is the gospel that saved you? It is the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that saved you. And if it saved you, can it save others? The power is still there. The gospel is still true. And just like it saved me, it can save others. Some believed. Damaris, Dionysus. I love those names because they believed. Let's pray for a moment. I have a video I want to show you. And we're going to close with this this morning. It's uh, just uh, maybe three minutes long. Hang with it. Some people are wordsmiths. They are just really good at putting words together. And there was an old preacher who was in California for 40 or 50 years, and some of you probably have heard of him. His name was Samuel Lockridge. And Samuel Lockridge has some of the greatest short messages I've ever heard. He does one that, that's called, That's My King. You guys heard, the, That's My King? Oh, you need to. You need to hear, That's My King. Someday I'm going to play it for you. But he did another one. And his, his message is, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You've heard that phrase? Well, this is where it started. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Friday's over with. We've been through Good Friday. The cross is done. Christ will never again be suffered, suffer like that, never again be persecuted. It's done. It's all over. And now we have the risen Christ who's there this morning. Can you get a picture of him? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard to see him, but he's there.
and he's there for you this morning. So listen to Samuel, and then I'll come back for just a moment. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross and then they raised him up next to criminals it's Friday but let me tell you something Sunday's coming it's Friday the disciples are questioning what has happened to their king and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved but they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday, Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. Sunday came. And so we're here. No more Fridays. Aren't you glad? No more Fridays. It's Sunday. 
and Christ is resurrected. You know, it's a great injustice not to say if you are here without Jesus Christ, if you don't know for sure of your salvation, you can and you should. Before you leave, I'll be up front. There'll be a couple others. We'd love to talk to you about it and just go through and explain and make sure that everything is understood. Jesus uh, came to seek and to save the lost. That's me. When I was saved, I didn't know anything, but I heard John 3.16. Honestly, I didn't know anything, and I heard it, and I believed it. I believed it. I believed Jesus died for my sins, and I accepted him. I didn't know anything more than that, and you don't have to know anything more than that. Jesus loves you. Friday's over. Sunday's come. And I am so happy to tell you there's never going to be another Friday or anything like it. Uh, We work and live and breathe in the reality of a resurrected Savior. Why don't we stand and be dismissed? And once again, if you want to talk about it, I'll be here. There will be some others available. But uh, we'd love to talk to you. Maybe you just have a burden. would like to pray. Lord, sometimes we are not sure how to pray. But we know this, that as we come before you this morning, that you're listening, and that, Lord, we have access to the creator of the universe through Jesus who died for us, that we can come right into your presence, that we have the boldness, Lord, to address you because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can stand this morning with full assurance that when we pass from this life, we'll be in your presence and that we'll see our Savior, not our judge. Lord, thank you for that promise. And God, I pray that if there's one here who has doubts, one here who is just not sure of their salvation, Lord, would you trouble them this morning? Would you speak to them? And when they leave here, that they wouldn't leave saying, maybe later, but they'd leave believing. Lord, would you do that? And as we go into a world knowing that some are going to mock, some are going to be hard on us for mentioning the name of Christ, we expect that. It's always going to be true. And some are just going to say, wait, maybe another time. But some are going to believe, and God embolden us as we take the message of the gospel out, that some will believe. Ladies and men, willing to embrace Jesus no matter the cost. God, we know there are some like that. There's some here this morning like that, and we're thankful for it. God, thank you for Easter. Uh, Thank you for the, the reason to celebrate as we leave, God, I pray that we wouldn't leave with heavy hearts, but just rejoicing in the reality of our relationship with you. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, the Blessed One, Jesus. Thank you, folks, for being here. Uh, he's, risen. he's risen. Okay. Have, have a good day. And if you want to have a parade, it's all right. With or without Easter bonnets.